are listening to episode 12 of Daisy Geek Girls. I'm Swapna Krishna. And I'm Preeti Chibber, and we are recording on Tuesday, August 15th. And today we're discussing Rogue One and episode 4, and we have a very special guest. If you, Keith, do you want to introduce yourselves and tell people where sure. you're from? I'm the special guest. It's me, Keith Chow, uh, the Nerds of Color. Yay! Uh, various other things on the internet. Hey, I'm, I, you know, I feel like I've been on the show before, but I guess this is my first time. <laughs> well, we, we came in, we came in and hung out with you on That's the right. Heads of Color podcast. Yeah. And you know, I listen to you guys all the time. So I just kind of feel like I'm on the show. I guess I talk to you, I talk back to you guys on the podcast. So I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. And then I realize I'm like alone in a car. So. It happens. And every so often, it's I disagree entirely. (laughs) What are they talking about? (laughs) Uh, So maybe we just get right into it because we've got a lot to talk about. We have two whole movies. Um, Very quickly, I think the reason we wanted to do Rogue One and A New Hope together is because we've talked about Rogue One um, previously on the show, and I genuinely believe that, and, and based on this experience, that A New Hope has shifted. Because of an of, because of Rogue One, like the the way we watch Episode Four is different, at least for me. I I completely agree. Yeah, I mean Rogue One. Start, it's it's almost like a Peter Jacksonian four hour extended cut. Yes. That you watch it all together. It is. Um, yes. and that's the way it feels now. Well, okay, yeah. so maybe we can start in on um, something that I know. I know Rogue One was actually a very divisive film. Like before we go into plot. Uh, Rogue One as a film is Rogue One colon a Star Wars story. I maintain that Rogue One is not a Star Wars movie because it's not about necessarily like it's hope, but it's also Rogue One is the only Star Wars film that shows us the realities of war. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in in a big way. Rogue One is like it's a Star Wars movie, but it's not an episode. Like there is a very big difference between that and like the episodic films. Yeah. So that was that was kind of the point, though, right? Like, the, it's the it's the first of these kind of standalone Star Wars movies that they were, you know, once Disney bought Lucasfilm, they were like, we're going to make Star Wars movies forever. And you mm-hmm. couldn't continually make trilogies. So they were like, well, let's and you can't make them every year. So what are we going to do right. in the off years? Well, let's do these one offs. And uh, I mean, you know, as as the first go. I think it makes sense that it's not. I think the way they're deline- delineating it is that the episodes are the Skywalker saga and, mm-hmm. and, and, and then they are, and right. And then the others are whatever they, they can be whatever. Cause the next one maybe is going to be Han Solo. Who knows what happens <laughs> with Han Solo. But uh, I would, the only thing I would argue with is I'm not sure that I would consider rogue one standalone. True. That's I agree. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Because I feel I, like, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I feel like it is, it can't exist. And I think that's part of the reason it's been so divisive. Yes. Like, I, I think it can't really exist apart from um, A New Hope and apart from, you know, like Star Wars Rebels as well. Um, and it's just, I think that the people, and I don't want to put it in terms of like true fans and not true fans. No, because it's, that's, 
that's shitty and that's not what I'm saying. But I mean more the people who have engaged more with the expanded universe, I think got more out of the film, a lot more out of the film than people who are more casual fans of the franchise. Well, even I watched, you know, I loved Rogue One when I saw it because I really considered it, as I think I've said on the show before, an extended episode of Star Wars Rebels. However, this is the first time I've watched it since reading um, E.K. Johnston's Rebel Rising, which and is that's uh, Beth Revis, huh? E- that's Beth Revis. E.K. Oh, Johnston. Sorry, sorry, did. sorry, sorry. Ahsoka. Ah, sorry, Beth Revis. <laughs> ah, so many good books. Speaking though. of true fans versus not. Re- oh no! <laughs> this is like this is like when I uh, mixed up. I was so tired. You know what? It's been a hard day. Yeah, yes, that's all I'm yes, gonna say. It's, it's been it a has, difficult day has. today. Um, sorry, Beth Revis's uh, Rebel Rising, uh, which is the story of um, Jen Erso from basically when she was picked up by Saul through when we see her get picked up by the the rebel um, contingent in the beginning of uh, Rogue One. And it made the movie so much deeper for me. Like, I understood Jin, and I more so... Because before the first time I saw it, it wasn't necessarily about the characters. It was about the thing that they were doing. Yeah. But after reading yeah. the book, it became about the character. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, 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 you know me, I'm hard on movies and properties generally when they can't stand alone. Yeah. And I, but I don't necessarily feel like Ro- that makes, this makes Rogue One a less effective film because I don't think it's supposed to stand alone. I agree. I agree. Well, you know, and I think one of the one of the controversies around Rogue One when the movie came or before the movie came out was like the extensive reshoots, right? Like Gareth mm-hmm. Edwards had basically made one movie, and then Lucasfilm was like, "What if we made this other movie?" <laughs> right. right. And then they made basically like kind of mashed them together. And I think, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that maybe Gareth Edwards' movie was more of a standalone. It was more of like Dirty Dozen kind of war war movie, and yeah. I feel like. Where you can kind of see, you know, the the corporate kind of Lucasfilm. Let's let's actually tie this into Star Wars, is in the second half. Is in the like, you know, not only you know. I mean, I guess we're going to go into spoilers, right? You guys go into yeah, spoilers. Oh, yeah, 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 Episode reviews, like you know, rev- tying bringing in Grand Moff Tarkin and bringing in Darth Vader and bringing in Princess Leia. I think really, I don't know that those were aspects of of Gareth Edwards' movie. You know, for sure. I don't know mm-hmm. for sure. But I have a feeling they probably weren't. I think it really was about like the gathering of this group to go get the plans, and then any reference to like the original trilogy would have been kind of like illusions, yeah, uh, not not outright. Um, but I think maybe they were worried that you know we need we need something for like like swapness of the casual fans, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and we, the fan service, yeah, right. Because also the other thing about Rogue One, and we've talked about on the Nerds of Color. Is that it was the most POC male, yes. Ma- the men of color, right, right, <laughs> yeah. uh, of of any Star Wars movie, and I think that was the other. Maybe Lucasfilm was like, <laughs> "There's too many brown people in this movie." No. <laughs> I don't, I don't know about, I don't know about that. No, I, I do, I'm, I'm I just, do think that I'm just joshing with Lucasfilm. I know, I do think that Lucasfilm because they do it with Star Wars Rebels, where they, you know, we've all read about these stories where they push for inclusion of material from the original trilogy, sometimes to the detriment of the narrative. Um, Yeah. And I think a lot of people 
First of all, let's get out of the way that there were not enough women in the movie. Like, you guys, all our listeners know that we think that there were not enough women in this film. I mean, it's glaring. It's glaring. It's glaring every time you watch it. Every time we, every time I sit through it, it is absolutely glaring. Um, And the second thing is the uh, Uncanny Valley Tarkin. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's just like if they had just kept him to reflections in the spaceship windows it might have been okay but it was just so unsettling you know and i it's like the press you know i i will admit i you know geeked out in the theater probably not so much you know on the blu-ray when 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 it came around the second time to watch it but i geeked out in the theater when when tarkin was on screen and of course when when they revealed leia um and it was, you know, the timing of the movie. I think Carrie Fisher died like the week after it came out, so it was, Ugh. you know, the second watch was almost unbearable. You yeah. know, it was like, yeah. Uh, but um, but I but I do wonder how like by CGIing the original actors, it kind of sets them up to fail for like Han Solo, right? Because it's <laughs> it's you like can. why does why does Leia look like Carrie Fisher, but Han Solo looks like this guy? <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, Hansel in general, I think, again, this is a thing that people know how we feel about it, which is like, we're going to yeah. see it, but yeah. okay, only... i rather see Lando, the movie. Right? Exactly. Yes, like, I would pay good money to see a Land- the Lando standalone movie. At right. Lando. Oh. So, anyway, back to Rogue One. Back to Rogue One. <laughs> All right, so let's let's just kind of start in on this plot, like... First, uh, Mads Mikkelsen and everything. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing. Underused. Severely underused. Um, even in this film, I feel like there was not enough. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I call him Deuce X Maddelson. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that later oh. in the movie. So, you know, it opens um, in this far away already the tone is different right we don't have a scroll yeah. we don't have the yeah. opening like crawl i said scroll but i meant scroll it's okay uh the it's opening like there is, we don't have you don't have the music we don't have the music we don't have um the text it it just kicks off and it's jarring yeah uh um, in the theater i was like wait oh wait this is what we're doing right like, it was like i was just immediate. i was confused you still get the long time ago in a galaxy far far away though right yeah That's yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But not the, you know, Star Wars. Like there's there's not that immediate like I think it unsettles you and I think it deliberately unsettles you because, again, I think that they want to give you the understanding that this is not a Star Wars film. Yeah. Um, Um, But I love and I will say, I think this is the most visually spectacular of all the Star Wars films. Like this movie is just even when it's ugly, it's beautiful. Yeah, like it it's really just is. lush. Like, and then and the opening, it's like the opening planet is like it's a volcanic mm-hmm. landscape. It looks like I think they've probably filmed it in like Iceland or something. Oh, um, it looks right. like that kind of landscape, and it's it's just just like the green and then the black, and it's just so pretty. I think like yeah, cinematography was never. I mean, I won't say there there is there are some shots in like the original trilogy that were that were breathtaking, I think, and we'll probably get to it. The, yeah. You know, the binary sunset of oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah. But 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 you know, Star Wars isn't necessarily known for like cinematography, especially like the the prequels where everything yeah. where everything was like made on a computer screen. It was kind of hard to appreciate the photography. But I agree that like I think that's where you know bringing in the indie filmmaking kind of sensibility of a Gareth Edwards and yeah, we'll see with Ryan Johnson in episode nine, uh, episode eight. I mean. Um, what what that kind of sensibility brings to Star Wars, but I did uh, yeah I agree like the the landscapes and the opening, um, what's the name of that planet they're on the farming like they're moisture farming but it looks really wet I don't know yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know it does look really damp like the entire first sequence it looks really misty and foggy Bloody, and damp yeah. but they're still moisture farming so right it's like... <laughs> whatever. but it is you know this immediate thing this immediate like action sequence but also this immediate sorry i had to google it because it's gonna bother me lamu right lamu i don't think i ever knew that immediate throwing us into the reality of what the empire is for people right it's yeah Unlike anything because you don't really i mean you see like the stormtroopers come and murder luke's family and and they're in um, uh, Mos Eisley and all of these things, but it's all very surface level, sort of. Like, you don't really see the realities of the Empire in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. In, in I, I think way. that's definitely true, like, later in Rogue One, too, especially when you get to Jedha. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if we're... Are we going to go chronologically or are we going to jump Yeah, around? usually we just kind of, like... <laughs> like very, very like um, loosely, we, we don't, chronologically. Loosely, that's a good. Yeah, I was like, we'll, we'll we jump around, but we right, right, right. Kind of hit every. But uh, I just the the point that Preeti was making about like you see the seeing what the what what life is like on the uh, under the Empire's mm-hmm. thumb, um, yeah. and I guess also the planet that we first meet, Cassian. You yeah. know, it's very yeah. reminiscent of Coruscant, but like grimier, mm-hmm. and and you know, like your first. You, you get like the hero's introduction, and then he like he murders someone in cold right. blood, and you're like, yeah, he's not the hero after all. You know? I mean, well, and I actually loved that scene because yeah, it perfectly put into um, it. A, it made you very clear this is not a star, this Star Wars movie you think it will be, and then B, um, these are desperate people who will do like they will take any action uh, for a cause. They will kill for this cause they believe because in in war. cold blood. Yeah, this that's is war. war. It's not is. clean and it's not convenient. Um, yeah, and so I, I actually like I, I every time that scene comes up, like I, I wince, but like I, I, I love that scene. I'm because glad Cassian it. is not Luke Skywalker, and Cassian is not meant to be Luke Skywalker. He's Han Solo, get, right? He, I. Well, what, wait, what I mean by well, that? I mean, like <laughs> he's Han Solo with a cause. Right. Well, yeah. Right. Because he's. And I feel like that scene is also Edwards' shot at the whole Han shot first thing. Well, right. Yes. Like unambiguously, this guy will shoot. The, but the difference he, is that Han, Han is he's, Han is not supposed to be Cassian, according yeah. to our creator, because Lucas clearly made a distinction by re-releasing and changing the narrative. That he expected Han to be a certain type of character that didn't get made into the original film. Cassian is that character through and through, right? right, right. right? And, and, and Edwards gives Cassian all of Han Solo's jackets too, so I was just—I well, yeah. think that's the other reason I keep <laughs> associating the two. I mean, it's true. It's like Cassian is um, 
for me, Cassian, like, obviously Jin is the hero of this movie, but for me, Cassian is not more of a hero, but... For me, Cassian's kind of the heart of the movie. Yes, Cassian is the heart of the film because he's the one that... He has the arc. He has the arc. He has the journey. Jin's Jin's journey, and I don't know if this is, like, a result of bizarre edit, because we're going to talk about how some of the, like reshoots possibly affected the poor editing because I do think there are sequences with poor editing and yeah. one of them is Jin's journey quite honestly right I, well, and I think you have a since you read the book do you probably have a better insight which I have not read that book so I don't know what Jin's backstory is other than like my mom died my dad left me in this hole and then Forrest <laughs> Whitaker picked me up and like that's the whole whole backstory you know right and and she doesn't really evolve beyond, like she's angry and she's good with a club, yeah. And but there's not a lot, like you know, she wants to find her father. I don't know exactly what her story. Cassian, I think, starting off as like you know desperate and I will murk you if if I have to to being like you know what what does he say about hope in the beginning? Um, Rebellions are built on hope, right? Like he's he like which was a little odd when he says it because it's like. He, he almost said it as a joke. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, It's not yeah, like yeah. he really believes it. But then he means it, it at just, the end. Yeah. Like, and he I almost know, said but it I also like, think well, that he, that's all we got. But yeah. I think that he means it. It's sarcastic, but it's also the recognition of, like, you know, he has the line, like, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. He has probably been hearing that line since yeah. he was six years old, but still having to do all of the dirty work. Like, I don't think, I don't think it necessarily, he's like, I think he, like, to me, if, it, it kind of feels like he is the hope for everyone else. Yeah. Like he does the dirty work to give his call and him and like the people like him give, do the dirty work to give everyone else hope. Well, yeah. I mean the re- the whole thing is that Luke and princess Leia and uh, Han and, and all of the people in the movies have the hope yeah. based on the sacrifices of made by right. the rebels made by the sacrifice that we see in rebels and we see in rogue one you know i love that they've made an entire film out of one line in an opening crawl <laughs> like that's amazing um, to me so um i will say that i've read both uh rebel rising and the rogue one novelization and i thought actually like rebel rising did a great job kind of giving Jin's backstory but i feel like the Rogue One, the novelization, which I think it's Alexander Freed who did it. But anyway, um, I feel like that did a much better job laying out Jin's motivations for me during the film. Mm. And like a lot of the questions I had that kind of explained a lot of, um, and I love, I will say, I love the character of Jin. I think she's excellent. And I love that the, I love that the situation, um, you know, I love that she's so different from Ray because it shows that you can have multiple movies with with women leads that are very different from one another and you know the what, characters are very different from one another. You know what would have made Jen even more awesome? What? Is if she were brown. Yeah. I was just like, thinking like yeah, well, totally different except brown and also white, brown surrounded and by more women. Well, yeah, yeah, that for sure. I mean, you definitely need more women in the movie, but I think, you know, 
not until episode eight will we even see like a woman, a woman of, of color in any kind of like you know important role. But yeah, a, you know, in a lot of the first images of of Jin as well, like it was because they were taking the promo images from like the scenes on Jeddah. But it looked like she's wearing a hijab almost, right? Like yeah. the yeah. scarf on her head. And I was thinking like how powerful an image it would have been if they had cast, uh, you know, an actress of Middle Eastern descent or an actress of South yeah. Asian descent as Jin Erso. I think that would be that would bring home a lot of the uh, uh, themes even stronger because you know I, I keep going back to the whole scene on Jeddah. What I loved about that, in terms of like, you know, there's always been the joke about Star Wars is that like, you know, we're rooting for the terrorists in Star Wars, like you know, yeah. like the rebels it makes it blowing clear. up, blowing up the Death Star and everything. Like there's always that like, what about all those con- like the Kevin Smith joke, right? The contractors who are <laughs> working on the right. Death Star, but but like. You know, what we see, you know, what I what I loved about Rogue One is that for like all of middle America and all of the red states who who went out in droves to watch the movie, you're watching a movie where you were sympathizing with the resistance, right? Yes, you were yes. sympathizing with oppressed yeah. people yes. fighting back. And and I don't know how much of that message actually got across, but what I also love is that the, the rebels on Jeddah were all brown people. Like you yeah. like it wasn't kind of sanitized with like, you know, the kind of militarism of the rebellion and the original. Well like Jeddah feels like a middle kind of a Middle yeah, Eastern totally, city. Totally. Like I'm pretty sure they based it on maybe like Jerusalem or like a you know, another walled Middle Eastern city because that's really what it feels like. Right, right. Yeah, that would, that's probably my favorite sequence in the movie is is all yeah. everything that happens on on Jeddah and and the introduction of of those characters. So my cat is like being noisy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, I hear meowing. Yeah, it's like, what um, are you talking? Uh, yeah. I mean, it would have been amazing for Jin to have been a brown woman, um, uh, especially because the only brown women we've gotten in Star Wars so far have been in extended universe, which. Mm. a smaller percentage of Star Wars fans engage with. Yeah. And like, so it's, you know, cause it's cause, uh, Lupita was, you know, under CGI. Lupita was under CGI. Um, ever and, like you have rebels, you have Sana in the comics you have, they're just a limited yeah. set of roles in terms Shout of Shout out universe. Janina Gavankar in Battlefront 2. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. I'm excited. I'm excited for that. I read the prequel novel. I'm not going to, like go into it. I read the prequel novel. It was really good though. So I'm excited, but I'm on a quest. I'm going to get her on your show. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Trying. I'm putting it out in the universe right now. Like, let's make it happen. Um, but you have, so everything that is said on this episode is with the caveat of there are not enough women and they're not. Yeah. We're not going to dwell on it. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, no, no, no. It's it needs to be said it's because really we really important even, to talk about. It is so important to talk about because it is ludicrous that this world exists. And I identify more with Cassian and, you know, than with the lead heroine, because as we've talked about before, whiteness is a big deal. Even though genre, like sci-fi fantasy, is generally so loath to recognize race uh, in that way, the fact, like, the fact that Diego Luna kept his accent is revolutionary. Yep, it is. You know? And it, I'm so happy that, you know, that decision was made. Like, it had to be. Like, you can't... Uh, it's, it's ridiculous that the assumption is people are either American or British. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that's that's just ludicrous. So it's it's great that you have this character, and and I desperately I know that Cassie and Comic just released this week where uh, I think it's a one shot basically where he it is a one shot. We see him meet K two. Um, but I want a book. I want a book about Cassian. I want a book about Cassian growing up in the rebellion. Uh, I do so. I want him to meet Princess Leia. <laughs> like, gonna write my own fanfic if it doesn't happen soon. Um, but you have this character uh, who has to walk a very fine line. Mm-hmm. You know that I think people understand uh when you are a person of color in a world like this right in a world where you are representing an an entity while still needing to have your own beliefs and i think that's what what's what sets rogue one apart from all of the other Star Wars movies is that it is this kind of coming together of, cause there's, and beyond just like race, right. But there's even that, the, the tension between like, what kind of rebellion should we be engaging yes. in? Right. The whole, yes. the, the whole conflict with Saul Guerrero saying yeah. that like, we need to be this. And then Mon Mothma thing, well, we need to do that. Like even that it's very reminiscent of like the disagreements on the left. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's this, yeah. Like, like what is the right approach to fighting fascism? And then like, we're too busy fighting amongst ourselves. Right. Uh, while the empire takes over, you know, and that's that's something that they kind of like unpack a little bit in Rogue One. This kind of like that the rebellion isn't because if you just not go a off the right, if you just go off the original trilogy, you kind of forget like the rebellion seems like its own kind of military, right? It's very right. regimented. There are generals and there are captains and and but like this is kind of that nascent rebellion where we're still figuring it out. And, and, and there is probably, you know, Mon Mothma represents the more kind of organized front where we got to do it this way. And then Saul represents the, like the more radical, like, I don't want to say fringe, but like, no, they're not going to listen to us unless we do X, Y, Z. Right. Like, so I think for that to happen in a star Wars movie is amazing. Yeah. And I think it's, Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> and, no, I was going to say, I just think, I think this implies um, very heavily that there wasn't really a unified rebellion until the destruction of the first Death Star. Right. Yeah. I think that, that that is what brought, you know, the rebellion as we all know it together. And it kills me. This movie, the, the general or commander, whomever, who goes behind Mon Mothma's back kills me. <laughs> like, it pisses me off every time because it's such like a Power Man move. Of like, oh, we're just going to go around this like little lady. And I'm just like, if you look about the dude who tells Cassie in the murder. Yes. Yes. It makes me so mad every time I see it. (laughs) I'm like, come on, man. Because that's Um, clearly where it's like there are no rules. There is not actually a chain of command. Right, right, right. So t- let's talk about because you mentioned Saw Gerrera, Keith, and let's talk about him because Preeti, I know you don't like Saw in this movie. <laughs> I heard that sigh. I just his don't... line delivery was amazing. Oh, what are you talking about? I, I, I actually really liked him in this movie. I disagree. So, yeah, which doesn't happen often. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Here's the thing with Saw Gerrera. I. Like, having watched the character literally from Clone Wars to Rebels to uh, Rogue One, the delivery... This is where I think actually poor editing comes in. Like, I don't love 
uh, Forrest Whitaker's performance, quite honestly. I don't, I, I don't think it makes sense within the context of the story that they give him. But also, I think there was bad editing that happened here. The Borg gullet scene. Oh my gosh. It makes <laughs> no clearly, sense. There's clearly a big chunk got cut there's out of that. There's a huge dangling plot thread there that just was never dealt with. And yeah. it's so distracting. And it's like such a big moment for Saw that it, it creates this like negative space for his entire storyline. Because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think what what my guess what pro- what happened there is they had to explain they wanted to cut the whole thing, but had to explain why uh, Bodhi was catatonic. Mm. But he's and so barely they just, catatonic. <laughs> they just they just cut as much as they could, and I don't know why they didn't just like cut out the catatonic stuff altogether. Yeah, because and, like, literally just, it lasts for four seconds, and then yeah. he's fine. <laughs> like, and so it's that huge gullet thing. thing is so It doesn't weird. make any sense. He's like, Borgullet! Borgullet! And then it doesn't do anything. Like, well, did it just yeah. hurt a little? And it's just, and it's, and it's not great CGI either. No. Like, the, and, and a movie where everything is so gritty and realistic, save for like the CGI, you know, Octopus. dead people. <laughs> but, but, then, yeah. but to bring like, yeah, this weird, like, yeah, that was not. Nah. Okay, I take back. Not everything on Jetta was awesome because <laughs> I guess technically <laughs> yeah. those were Jetta scenes. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But also, like, I, I mean, just saw doesn't make sense as a character in this film necessarily. As like, you don't know why he's so angry. Yeah. It, it also feels like it also feels like the way Forrest Whitaker approaches the character that it it was almost like. He's not playing the same Saul Guerrero from the Clone Wars, right? Yeah, it was like yeah. he's playing his own character, and then they kind of like backfilled the. Oh, by the way, this is the character you guys remember from Clone Wars. And then, on the one hand, like pre-release, you're like, "Oh, that's awesome! They're actually tying it into Clone Wars." And then you watch, and you're like, "How you have to exactly that it's is this kind of How is this the same different guy? characters?" <laughs> but like, yeah, which I'm okay with. I could even understand how someone like a young man after a lifetime of disappointment and violence could end up being there. But for someone who doesn't watch Clone Wars or Rebels or has, this is their first introduction to Saw Gerrera, there's no context giving, mm. given. Like, you have no idea why you should care that this man is so, um, uh, what's the word, um, paranoid and angry. Like, you don't understand why you're just expected to accept that this version exists within the rebellion, even though there's no uh, recognition of it in the original trilogy. Yeah. Right, right. And that to me I, is bad writing. I loved Forrest Whitaker's performance as Saw. Like, I think he played a paranoid man, like a paranoid, like weird, just out there. I, I enjoyed it. I understand why <laughs> a lot of people didn't, but I know I'm also not alone in enjoying it. <laughs> I just think it was too affected. There are too many like twitches and. I I put it there with like Tom Hardy's Bane. Like it's so weird. Yes. And terrible that it's kind of awesome. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So like, I mean, I get, you know, like playing a character. He was definitely, he was playing a character. But he was playing a character in a movie that was all about actually realism within the war. I, like, I think if Saw Gerrera 
had existed in that way in the original trilogy, I would have accepted it a lot more readily than I did in Rogue One, maybe. Mm. Because Rogue One, the characters are all so real in their reaction to the very um, visceral war that is happening on screen that Saw Gerrera almost felt cartoonish to me. Yeah, I see that. Yay. But I think the fact that he started out as a cartoon kind of, and I understand, like, no, knowing that, knowing that, and I totally agree with you, he doesn't really work outside of the context of, like, if you're just dropped into the movie and you don't know, have any clue who this guy is. You'd be like, um, what the hell is going on? But also doesn't help, like, the, the episode he cameos in in Rebels. He's, like, a third character. Like, yeah. you know, like, he's, because it's, it's, it's younger. It's not young Saul where he's, like, hanging out with Anakin. So he's like he looks more like Forrest Whitaker, yeah. But like, but but like he's bald Forrest Whitaker, like Saw was, which they don't explain, like no. why Saw bald and then crazy hair. Like it's usually like you, you lose your hair as you get older, but um, but but even then he's like playing Saw very kind of straightforward, yeah. And I think it's so interesting that Forrest Whitaker does the voice, right? That's what I mean. Like he's like, still so playing character, yeah. So it's still the same. It's not like you can you can have a like. Ascribe it to different right because actors. Rebels is maybe three or four years before right. <laughs> yeah. before Rogue One or before. And as far as I know, I don't remember, but I don't think Rogue One fills in that gap. The book, sorry, the book, fill, the novelization fills in that gap of what happened to Saw between. Yeah, I don't. We actually that, so. don't know. Like we see it a little bit in some other books, but. I mean, at some point, they're probably going to put out a comic that explains it and have two white dudes write it because it's Marvel. I can't. Um, I okay, can't. so. Um, uh, okay, so he, they Nick leave Spencer's Beta. Nick Spencer's going to write it, and no! we're going to learn was a Nazi. You invoked all along. his name. Don't even, like, don't even invoke his name. I don't even know. I feel I, like I we just bloody married. What the heck? <laughs> I, know. I know. I have like. I have I'm sorry. You'll never invite me back on the pod. <laughs> We're going to put that in the next time someone wants to be on the show. Be like, you can be on, except you can't say these words <laughs> in sequence. Um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about K2. Because we haven't talked about Alan Tudyk at all. And he's so good. Like, he's so good. He's so good. K2 has this amazing arc in this film. For, yeah, I agree. You know, like a, a droid that in a lesser film, I think, would have just purely been played for comedy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, and it's just such good... This, is, it's, this movie is so infuriating, because on the one hand, you have such, like... Maybe it wasn't bad writing, but because of editing, ended up being bad writing, and then you have good such writing good writing. And bad editing. It's great writing, great characters, and terrible editing. Just like the way I see it, brokenness. I think I really thought that when this movie came out um, for for home viewing, that we would get an extended cut, and I'm so surprised mm. that we didn't. I'm just. Oh, that I might just, still come. It might still come. It There's, might still come. Disney still again, has money to make. <laughs> true. Lucasfilm is so rigid about their party line mm. that, like, I'm not sure they would want the vision of another director to come out. That's true too. I don't think we'll ever see. At least not in for public consumption, like the original cut. I think it'll it'll no. float around eventually in like, you know, um, okay, circles. Right, 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 right. But 
you know, it's almost gonna it's gonna reach like mythic stand. Like, what is it? Topher Grace has yes! Phantom Menace. Cut. I want to see it so badly. It's gonna be like that. How do we like become friends with Topher Grace? <laughs> like, yo, Toph, I really liked you as Eddie Brock. Just kidding. Really? No. Okay. I was gonna say. I think we just canceled. Pre-tea. That was a lie. Yes. That, that's my that's my opening line. <laughs> um. <laughs> I just hope he doesn't listen to this podcast. No. Um, <laughs> so like, can we talk about can we talk about our space uncles yet? Yes. yes. So we talked about know. Jetta. We talked about this this scene that we really love, and this is the introdu- un- introduction introduction <laughs> of our uh, gay space uncles, Chirrut <laughs> yes. and Baze. <laughs> I love them so much, and like every time I even think of Baze now, I start like tearing up because oh. of. Um, the uh, special features. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Oh. Oh my god. Wait, what? So have you seen the Rogue One special features? I thought I saw them, but well, what? No, because there's a line is- where he says, um, uh, "After my biggest son reads the script and says, go, Dad, you have to go, you have to go for us.'" Uh, okay, I right, asked right, right, the yeah. why, and my two sons said, "This is a hero." Oh, and you know, Donnie's Donnie's kid like. Dresses up as him. Yeah. Like, oh, oh my God. I and love it. It's so cute. It's so good. I love them. I love all the, ca- I mean, with the caveat, of course, I wish there were more women and there should have been more women. I love all these characters so much. Mm-hmm. And of course, Bodhi. Bodhi, yeah. I mean, you know, He's I think everyone. clearly my favorite character. In yeah. <laughs> everyone is very familiar with our, our appreciation that Riz Ahmed is in this film. Yeah. And that we have a character who actually has brown skin and South Asian features on film. Yeah. Because that's never happened. Well, no, Aisha Darkar, but she's covered in face paint. Right. <laughs> and I think what, what's great about Bodhi's character, like, I, he's there's another one where there are, like, the sketchings of a great character, but there's just not enough for him to do. Mm-hmm. That what I want... And and this is kind of the cool thing about like the the standalone quote unquote Star Wars stories is that they could literally be at any point in time about any character. You could have a Guardians of the Wills movie, right? About yeah. You could have a Bodhi Rook movie about yeah. him defecting from the Empire. Like I want those are the stories I want to see. And even if not in live action, you know the comics or or whatever. I think there's just a lot of stuff there that we don't that we just get like teases of. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially with Bodhi, because Bodhi had the potential to be like an amazing character, and not that he isn't. Like he's my favorite character in like the ten minutes he has in the movie. <laughs> um, so part of the part of the uh, the downside of having such a rich ensemble cast is that nobody gets you. Don't feel like anybody gets enough. Yeah. Right. Like right. I like, and I, I would have loved to see all of those men of color get more. Right. But the thing Screen is, like, time and is that, like, they're going to have, because Star Wars exists in this, like, bananas, like, like narrative structure where it is ever-expanding and potential for story is so great that they could do this, right? They have, yeah. Like, they could make a, they could include Bodhi in whatever cartoon comes after Rebels. They could include all of these characters in various spots. And that's incredible because even though, you know, everybody dies at the end of this movie, Star Wars is such an expansive story. Like 
there's so much potential for storytelling there. Like we're getting, you know, uh, forces of destiny, which are mm-hmm. moments in time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But still story that these characters can be used forever because it's ever expanding. It's like space. It never ends. Yeah. <laughs> let's, um, so let's, um, because we're already quite a ways into it and I, we still need to get to a new hope. So, um, yes. we've got, Ido. So just a little movie. Cut it just, yeah. Just, you know, that doesn't need any discussion at all. <laughs> um, so we got Edu, which like, we can talk about that really quickly. I find I found Edu is the part of the movie. I always get up and like, go like get a drink. Yeah. Or, I, I mean, I just <laughs> think it's, it's necessary for plot exposition, but it's overly. I like. I wish they cut down that scene yeah. and added more of the stuff back in, like yeah. other places, because that's not always. Yeah, feels like there's fast. a whole there's a whole like five minute flying into the planet scene where it's kind of played for laughs. Like yeah. Bodhi doesn't yeah. know how to fly. It's just like he's a pilot. Why would he not know how to fly the, yeah. the ship? It, like there's just all this like kind of comedic stuff that's very reminiscent of like, you know you know, Chewbacca and Han Solo bickering kind of thing. And, and yeah. it just doesn't feel right in that movie. Yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, and all the rain and just, it's, and just, it's an ugly. Like, and like Jim, like, like climbing up the platform, getting over there and then getting kicked off the platform again by the shuttle leaving. And then having, it's like she already climbed well, up like the longest staircase in the world. There's a moment. I agree with the like climbing up. I think they could have just put her there, but the moment where the shuttle takes off, I think is actually an important character moment because she waits. She knows enough to wait to get up mm. until that shuttle yeah. leaves. Like, even though she hasn't seen her father in like 13 years or 16, whatever it is, she knows, we know that this character understands enough about war that she needs to wait until every Imperial officer is on that shuttle to get up. Yeah. You know, I think that's a that's a moment, a character driven moment that we need to see because you see her uh, intelligence and resolve there. I just felt like there was too much. It was just there was too much. Um, yeah, that's that that scene is just uneven to me. The whole not that, not that specific scene. It's gimmicky. I mean, the whole, like, just, yeah, it feels gimmicky, the but, whole yeah. Edu, and I feel like it sets up almost a. False tension between Cassian and Jin that yes. didn't necessarily even need to really be there. Well, I mean, I think you have to see because this is the issue with the movie, right? Is that Jin's motivations are so unclear. Yeah, and she's such a um, she's like such this weirdly opaque character that you ha- you have to pull a lot out of assumption, yeah, like about her motivations so that they there needs to be conflict there need they needed something between the two of them right but i feel like it got too it was too up and down for them to for them to them turn to then turn around so quickly yes and i think a lot of people had that issue like it was just too like i think she had every right to be pissed especially you know those are rebel bomb those those were rebel bombs that, that was killed. that like that was a great scene that, that was a great line should have been so much more impactful I, I think it would have been more effective if Cassian, if it hadn't been Cassian going to kill him and just like the whole, like, you're a rebellion that I am here working with. The reason he, I am here is I'm supposed to be working with them. And then they just tried to kill him. I, I think that would have been a more effective conflict. It, it than muddled, what, it muddled than the, yeah. the perspective because she, Cassian didn't do it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 
And she it's just could like, have been well, mad at the rebellion yeah, without being yeah. mad at Cassian. Yeah. And and conflated them in a way that would have allowed for him to be angry. Yeah. And she could have been mad at him as the like face of the rebellion right, on her ship. Exactly. Or on that ship. But like just I didn't feel like like it's not like it's Anyway, it's just she gets really emotional for a character who has been mostly unemotional. I mean, the, but this is the thing is that the onus is on the audience to be like, well, she just saw her father and like she hasn't. Yeah. You know, which I don't feel like her motivations are as unclear as a lot of people do. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll say that really quickly. But um, yeah, I didn't feel like the scene was the great. only good part of the, the problem is in that scene. You're on Cassian's side. Yeah. Like you're listening to Cassian and being like, yeah. You don't know. You just got here. <laughs> um, and then so then they go back and we get to see kind of the functioning or not functioning, as it were, rebellion at the um, back on Yavin 4. Well, uh, we skipped, though. We haven't talked at all about Vader's presence because it cuts from there and you see Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, who is still the most dramatic person literally living in Sauron's castle. <laughs> yep. Yep. Like at the, that overlooks the spot where um, Obi-Wan, you know, yes. Like seriously, off his arm and super leg. dramatic Anakin, super yep. dramatic Anakin, but also my favorite line in the movie. <laughs> oh, really? The Vader's, choke on your Vader's yeah, dad well, pun. Kick. Keith, where do you come down on that? Because that line divides the fandom. My well, my honest, and you know, I love James Earl Jones, but like, why does Anakin sound like he's a hundred years old? <laughs> That's the only thing that I a, have an issue with. It's a like breathing problem. No, I know, but like, it's, it's, <laughs> he sounds like ninety-year-old James Earl Jones. Probably. Well, James Earl Jones's age, like you can tell in his voice. Like, even right. if you listen to, you know, if you watch these two movies back to back, you can very much tell yeah. it. That's, you know, that's the voice of age quite a bit. But, but yeah, the choking on your aspirations, I don't know. I mean, I love it. Was Vader known for corny puns in the original show? I don't remember if he what? was. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe not puns, but certainly Anakin like. was pretty funny. Yes. So. I guess yeah. it's just such a good moment because it's like. Well, such a, from a certain point of view. Well, no, when I say it's a good moment, I mean that it's, it's such a good moment in the sense that like Darth, <laughs> at this point, Vader is. You know, you have these young generals like Krennic who want so badly to have recognition. And if you're reading the comics that take place immediately after A New Hope, if you're reading the uh, Vader Down series, you know that Vader's his position isn't as solid, right? It's not as solid as he thinks he thinks it is. Vader, Vader's position. Right. Um, well, that's obvious. I mean, we'll get eventually get to New Hope. Like, yeah. that's what I think people kind of forget is that in A New Hope, Tarkin's Vader telling him what to do. Yeah, Vader's right. not top dog. Vader's he's, not top dog. He only becomes top dog after they blow up the Death Star. Like, all these things that we kind of take for granted in Star Wars, I think Swapna mentioned earlier, really happen after the end of A New Hope, right? right like, yeah. the idea of like the rebellion being an organized thing. I think even Vader being like the menace that he is, I think he's he's known as like, um, you know, the emperor's kind of like attack dog. Yeah. I think he's scary because he just looks scary to, to like yeah. normal everyday em- citizens of the empire. But I don't think in terms of like the hierarchy of, of the government, 
I don't think anyone takes I don't think he has any real political power. Right. So in this moment, you see that his need to assert his power, the need to, like, he doesn't have to choke, force choke Krennic right here, but he does it, and then he mocks him immediately. Like, yeah, the pun is funny, and it's a dad joke, but he's also straight up choking this guy and mocking him. Which is an which, and alpha if you watch move. it, and if you watch it in chron- chronological order, it's a foreshadowing to when he chokes the governors around the table, right? Yeah, right. On the Death Star, which so, again, you can see they, they don't take Vader seriously right. in that scene. No, they don't. So like, like it's, the, it's like him much, much like Anakin did in the prequels. It's him consistently asserting himself and proving that he deserves to be there. And I think that's a good, um, that's an interesting, um, like kind of juxtaposition against Kylo Ren, who has that political power, but yet he's still constantly trying to prove himself against his grandfather's force power. Like it's like the opposite situation. Like Darth Vader has so powerful in the force, but has less practical power than he would like. And Kylo Ren maybe has all the, all the political power, but or not all, but a good, he is politically powerful, but does not necessarily, as far as we know, have the force power. And it's a nice, like, consistency to Anakin's character, which, like you said, we tend to forget that Vader isn't the all-terrible. We tend to, like, erase that part of him from our mind because he comes in as this, like, hardcore, intense villain in A New Hope despite not actually having political collateral. Yeah, and even in this movie, Tarkin orders Vader. Tarkin yeah. says, you know, you go clean up the rebel fleet. I'll take care so of So there's, like, consistency to Anakin's character from the prequels through to A New Hope because he is this, he's still this kid who doesn't, isn't as powerful as he wants to be and so is taking pieces of power where he can get it. Which yeah. is force choking and mockery because that's sort well, that, of all that actually, he has. And that actually kind of brings Empire into like a different, like gives me a different lens on Empire because if you do think of, you know, th- that kind of like straight line of Anakin from episode one through episode four, um, and then when he finally he finally attains it. At mm-hmm. the end of four, yeah. even though his Tie Fighter gets shot and <laughs> he spins out of control, he's the only one like, who survives. Right, at the beginning of Episode five through on through, you see Vader at his most powerful, and mm-hmm. he's he's commanding armies. He's he's telling people what to do. He's listening to no one except the Emperor. Right, and and at the same time, it's like his arrogance gets the best of him because he doesn't have to tell Luke he's his father. Right. Like, right. you know, but it's like, he gets the, that gets, he gets the best of himself. And I think, but you see like you see that kind of, you know, you, even though he's at the peak of his powers, he can't help himself to like right. overstep because that's the thing that brings him down ultimately. Right. Like yeah. Luke never learned that Vader was his father. Return of the Jedi never happened. So like, I think that, um, yeah, that's, I've never thought of it that way. Well, and also I think it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting to think about Vader's search for Luke. Like, what is he looking for? Like, cause it is of course on the, um, orders of the emperor to a certain extent. But if you read the comics, like he finds out, he starts looking for Luke before before. the emperor, before the emperor tells him Because he knows something's up. He knows something, something is up from the end of A New Hope. 
Yeah, when he well, he also knows things. like why does this kid have my last name? That's probably oh. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's so we're, we're getting quickly, into a new very hope territory quickly, now. Just so, okay, end. so let's do let's talk about Scarif. Scarif is my favorite aerial fight scene of any Star it is, Wars movie. It is might be my favorite location. Yes, just the sheer beauty. Like that is like that. The whole thing is just visually spectacular. It's it's what it's what makes Rogue One iconic. Like yes, and it's it's a reason like. The, all the marketing was on Scarif because you've never seen a, a landscape like that in Star Wars. No, never. Yeah. It is so, so gorgeous. And I, I agree with you, Preeti. I love that aerial battle. I love seeing the moon calamari, you know. You see them in action a little bit in Jedi, but, like, this is something... This is a situation where they were able to take newer technology and still make it believable for that time, yes. but still make it more visually spectacular, which yes. kind of prequels to do. Yes. Um, because that's the, just that bridge, like with looking over the, where like the entire, the bottom part was glass and he could like see the battle going on underneath. It was just so visually cool. It's gorgeous. I mean, the whole sequence, that whole sequence is gorgeous, not just like visually, but also narratively because... And and we know people had issues with the fact that they finally had a movie with a cast of color and then they kill everybody. <laughs> but narratively, it it's what has it was, to happen. Yeah, it, it, it's what works. It's what works. It it makes their sacrifice means so much. It means that a new hope can happen. A new hope can't exist without the people in a rogue in Rogue One. Yeah, and that means that they. They are the reason that Star Wars exists, essentially, right? Yeah. And so their deaths, and, and every death, like, from making us care so deeply about K2, who is in a droid, we've seen countless droids. <laughs> you know, we see, how many times do we see see 3PO taken apart? But the light going out of K2's eyes, just like ugly tears yeah. <laughs> every time. Um, so with that segue, unless is it the, the, if we're done with it, Rogue One, any last? Um, just, just, I, the segue I think is the Vader scene. Yeah. The segue it was... is the horror that you feel and the real terror at Vader straight up I knew. murdering people. I knew they were going to get the, we all knew they're going to get those plans out, but I know every you time I see that like, scene, like I'm like, what, like white <laughs> because I'm like, seen he okay. literally, you see his Terrible lightsaber fight. go through someone's chest, like come out the other side, which is again, not a thing you see in star Wars. It's terror. And you, you reminded why Darth Vader is so terrifying. Yes. He gets right. in, in a new hope. he, I think Rogue One makes him scarier in A New Hope. Yeah, I agree. Well, especially when you that that iconic kind of first entrance of Vader is you now prefaced by what he was just doing. Right. Yeah. Like that that scene the the two scenes together are just seamless. Like the yes. end of Rogue One and the beginning of New Hope. The like, like it is. that is seamless. Um, I. Uh, it's, can it's we intense. can we talk about digital carry though for a second? Like yeah, yeah. Because that, that was the other divisive thing too. That like you know, the, whether or not it was a great CG you know job is one thing. But like, did you? I mean, because again, as, as I said, when I saw it in the theater, that was like, you know, 
stand up and cheer moment when you when you turned around. Like I don't know that you needed to see her face, but like when the door opens and you see the white hood, yeah, and you realize, oh god, that's the Tanti Four. It's late. I mean, you kind of knew what was coming, but did you think it was like a cheap kind I... of fan servicey thing, or did you think it helped narratively to know that? I found myself needing it in this yeah. view. Uh, I found myself, I know that it's Uncanny Valley. I know that it's, a l- it's, you know, hard to look at a little bit, but seeing young Carrie Fisher saying the word hope at the end I of needed that run, after how rough that movie was. Uh, mm-hmm. I, like, I can't, I, objectively, it. objectively it was pro- like it was, and sometimes, sometimes I wish they hadn't shown her face and they yeah. just shown the back. Like, yeah, but I, but emotionally I needed it. And emotionally I feel like it was solid. Like it Agreed. hit the notes it needed to, even if like objectively I'm like, oh, I don't know. Agreed. And I think her, Carrie Fisher's death too. I think makes yes. No, that's what I mean. So I think because, I needed it. Yeah, because I know that after she died, because the movie came out, then she died, and I know that after she died, I wanted to go see Rogue One again just for that last scene. Yeah, just yeah. to like one more kind of like farewell to Carrie. So I think um, that's why that is as much people clown it. I think I will always kind of it will always hold a special place in my heart just because I remember the time when I went to see it. Yeah. You know, like. That experience, like that's the thing about Star Wars for me, is that I'm I am the same age as the franchise, which um, is kind of like crazy. So when you make like dad jokes, I'm like, hey, that's me. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but but, uh, but like part of the experience of Star Wars for me, at least, is like the memories of like what happened, where where you are in your life when you're seeing it in the theater, surrounded. Mm-hmm. By people like I, I watched all three prequels at midnight. I, my dad took me to see Return of the Jedi. It was one of the first movies I'd ever seen as a kid. Like so, like knowing that I saw Rogue One, the 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 week Carrie Fisher died, like yeah. that always like is as again as much as you might joke, people might joke about how terrible the CG is. That that will always be like an emotional kind of like uh, valve <laughs> for me. Yeah, absolutely. And then going, I think it helps to connect Rogue One to A New Hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To go, because even if you saw her, the back of her hood, there's a part of your brain that's like, that's just a body double. And even though you know it's a body double, I think seeing that face is so necessary. It's a different emotion, level of emotional reaction. It's a reaction. different level of emotional reaction. And then, you know, we go into A New Hope that immediately goes from Rogue One into getting trying to get those plans um yeah we can finally again talk about why r2 wasn't mind wiped and how it doesn't make any sense (laughs) and how i'm gonna be mad about this forever i tried to argue with you when you first brought it up but then i was like wait no you're kind of right and no you are right it It doesn't make any sense he's just a dick (laughs) um so here's a question okay so this is i i i i was watching this i this kind of struck me for the first time so vader says like when they're kind of wrapping up on the ship he says um set a distress distress call and inform the senate that all those aboard were killed so does bill organa die thinking he sent leia to her death no oh Maybe. Oh, God. I think he does. I know. Oh, this God. is not. Oh, you mean when, when, they blow you up, about last when they blow up Alderaan you're talking about? Yeah. Because, like, so so Vader says, inform the sun that all those aboard were killed and then takes, you know, her away to the Death Star. And then she has no more contact with her father. And then they go 
to Alderaan and fucking kill everyone on Alderaan. Kill everybody. Oh my now god. I know, sorry. I just I realized this yesterday and then I texted Preeti. I was like, I have a really depressing thought, but I'll <laughs> oh save it for god. the chat. Oh my god. I'm that sorry. Is, that is the saddest <laughs> thing. And like, especially after he's like, I would trust her with my life. Uh, and like in like Rogue One. Uh, and then he's sitting there like Like it's bad enough that we know Bail Organa well enough to to that that it's it frustrates and I know that like bloodline exists, but I need a forces of destiny that gives us the moment that Leia mourns the loss yeah. of her family. There's a there's a fan webcomic that deals with it that's really beautiful. Um if I can find it, we'll put it in the show notes. But it's letting Leia have her moment of, of sadness, which she doesn't yeah. get. Can can I uh interject uh some fan fiction here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I've always thought, so there's this, and I know we're supposed to be talking about new hope, but there's a scene in return of the Jedi where Luke and Leia are talking about her mother mm-hmm. and Luke asks her about like, you know, tell me about your mother. And she says, Oh, she was sad. Um, and then, and then Luke says, why, why do you want to know? And Luke says, cause I never knew my mother. And he, it's the implication is that he's asking Leia about her mother because he's talking about their mother. Right. Because yeah. he then reveals that they're twins. And and I always wished that the prequels were about that. that I always wish Padme didn't die from childbirth, which is dumb. Ugh. The way she, well, she doesn't even die from childbirth; she dies from a broken heart. Yes. And um, but I always wish that like Padme survived the birth of her children and married Bale because that's <gasps> what was implied. Uh, and the whole and, princess thing. But Bale right, was already not, married, like, right? Well, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. Like, we Never. we don't we don't know who who like so like th- they didn't just give Bale the baby like Bale was her stepfather, and um, you know after Anakin's d- death and and transformation to Vader like Padme falls in love with Bale and they marry and 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 Leia. This is my new headcanon. But so we start out with a new hope. Um, on we we start with that um like great opening and depressing now opening scene, and yeah. then and then um we meet and then we meet the droids and then they go to Tatooine and I've always found their journeys on Tatooine a little long. Well, it's it's one I cannot divorce it from spaceballs. <laughs> oh my god! I yeah. just it's well what's interesting so what's interesting about this movie A New Hope is that. We've now seen it in so many different iterations, right? We all saw it as the beginning of Star Wars. Then we all saw it as the continuation of the prequels. And now we've seen it within the context of Rogue One. Yeah. And A New Hope changes... Uh, every time. Changes I would argue time. that it's the movie that changes the most. Yes, I think so. Depending it, on the like the ancillary stories. Right, depending on like what kind of whether you're looking at it through the old expanded universe, the current canon, Rogue One, the prequels, Rebels, Clone Wars, like Right. Nothing it, exists it, it continually in a vacuum. Changes. Yeah. And it's it's the it's the only movie of the saga that's paced like a movie from the seventies. Yes. You know, like the even Empire, like they the the pacing of Empire is a lot quicker. There, there's not as many kind of like like you like Preeti was saying, you know, droids just walking in the desert <laughs> for yeah. twenty minutes. Like there's a lot of like boom, 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 and and I think with with the with a new hope, 
you know, I mean, you have to think about it, like this. Lucas was of that kind of vanguard of like you know Coppola and Spielberg, yeah. like all those guys, right? And yeah. like those the. the, the I'm actually not offended when I hear like young people today say, "Oh, the the old movies are boring." Like, because they are in a way, right? Like, there's a lot of like old guy in the desert talking to you for but 20 it's, minutes. It's also that it's like uh, a new one. They didn't know if there were going to be other movies. Like, this was right. just Star Wars when it right. came out. There was no right. like Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope. It was just Star Wars. They didn't know it was going to continue, and. Um, Oh crap! What was I gonna say? I like lost. Well, it's my definitely train of the most. The it's the most standalone of any of the yes, movies. Yes, it is. Like, yes. There's no hint at anything coming. Like, if you only watched Star Wars, it would um, be like a complete film. It was a complete right because like they they blow up the bad guy, the bad thing, and, and they get the medals princess at gives the them end. all medals except for Chewbacca. Like, <laughs> the, the, the only yeah, the only mystery would if they if you walked out of that theater in May of '77 was like. Why didn't the dog get a medal, right? Like, that would be yeah, the only right. thing people were asking. And it's, it's and, so it's, of course, like, you have this film that needed to exist both in its space, but allow for potential existence of yeah. others. Like, this film shifts in so many ways. And, and I think it does it remarkably well. It does, but you have to put, there's so much onus on the viewer for this movie. Well, I think there's also a lot of onus on the actors. Like, yes. for example, when um, Ben Kenobi said, when Alec Guinness says to Luke, like, one of my favorite lines in this entire movie is when he says, um, oh, I can't remember the line now, of course. <laughs> but like that. And now I can't remember the line. Oh, a vi- when he says, like, a pupil of mine named Darth Vader right. prayed a murder. And he kind of has this, like, shifty eye thing going. And, like, I absolutely believe, I can believe that even if, um, you know, the rumor is, like, it's very clear that Lucas did not have the Luke and Leia brother and sister thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that right. was not the original plan. But I, it may, that makes me believe that um, Darth Vader as Luke's father was the original plan because Obi-Wan looks like he's lying to him. Well, there's also the whole scene where you have to, like, figure out based on what we've now know what we now know to be true and what we've seen after seeing all of this extended universe why obi-wan lies about owning a droid yes why he pretends like he doesn't know who r2 is you know all of these things that are retconned that don't and in my head all i can think of is alec guinness being like i don't know what the fuck this movie's about Yeah, <laughs> which I'm is just true, saying which it. Is actually, <laughs> right, exactly. I think that was well, quite documented. Like there's clearly a deep relationship between Owen and Obi Wan yes. that, like, they don't like all like as far as we know, their entire interaction is Obi Wan going and dropping a baby off with them. Right, and you know, maybe which there we might don't have been actually no based on that first film. But like, but exactly, but so, but the film makes it seem like they have, you know. He thought you'd follow Obi-Wan on some damn idealist crusade like his, your father. Like, right. Which, first of all, Anakin didn't follow Obi-Wan on an idealistic crusade. <laughs> and second, like, it's just, it's clear there, I mean, like, I don't know if you guys were on, like, the bulletin boards in, like, the 90s before the, like, before um, the prequels came out. I was much too young to be on the internet. <laughs> but, like, there's this, like, whole, like cult like discussion about like the relationship between obi-wan and and or obi-wan and owen were they brothers mm-hmm. like because they call him uncle don't they call him un- uh, uncle ben or no um, no no, no, uncle, no. But they come like old ben like he's he right. feels like a crazy uncle 
right? That like comes home for Thanksgiving kind yes. of thing. They, right. they, they're they're like, you're gonna the way you're gonna change your name is from Obi Wan to Old Ben. Ben yeah. Ben Old Kenobi ben. versus Obi Wan Kenobi. Would yeah. it like you know Ben Jones be a better <laughs> like you know right. or something? And literally anything. Luke Skywalker, wouldn't you change his name to Owen, La- like Luke Lars? Well, especially right. when when you when you drop off Luke at the burial site of Anakin's mom, right. where when when he first went over to the dark side, like all of those things, like in retrospect, don't make any sense. Yeah. Like, like, you know, Vader is orbiting Tatooine and doesn't realize that he's orbiting Tatooine. Like, I think there was like a comic panel I read somewhere that uh, showed like. Vader looking out the window of his Star Destroyer and kind of reminiscing about Tatooine, but I don't know if that was if that was like fan art or no. I no, think I remember. like in the comics. There's something where I vaguely remember him kind of being like, "I'm never like." There's right. some sort of like, "I'm never going to set foot on Tatooine again" or something like that, where it's like a a distinct decision of deciding never to go back there, mm. which I think was supposed to maybe play into Obi-Wan's decision. But again, I think so much of the onus is on the viewer to reconcile these things because there was no plan necessarily mm-hmm. when the film yeah. came out. And that being said, the film on its own is great. Oh, yeah, classic. Yeah, I love this movie. Yeah. Like, it's... I think it's, it's, it's kind of hard to separate my nostalgic feelings... From like you know being able to like think about it critically because well, my nostalgia like nos- like how I feel it. about the movie yeah it's hard to watch it's a comfort film but like if you think about it now so we we all have thought about this movie I think in in its own context but if you think about it in context of Rogue One something I noticed was that Luke uh, God love him his naivete is so much more apparent after watching Rogue One because he wants so badly to join this war that we've now seen the reality of. Yeah. Like, he is a child. Well, and he also, like, he's... That's the other thing. If, if Obi-Wan never intercedes, or if the... I guess if the droids never show up, he would he would be a pilot for the Empire because he was right. going to join the yeah, Academy. Yeah, he's going to join the Academy. Yeah. And, and that's even though he seems to sort of understand that that's not good. Yeah, he's like, I hate the Empire, but it's my only way off this planet. Right. Well, it's, you know, that's, the, like, you have to, because the thing is, you really have to think of, of the Empire as America. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, it's the government. It's the like, government, right? It's so, like, it's, he's, 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 a, he's a kid, like, you know, working class kid who's trying to get out of this small town. And what's the and way out? The army. The only way is to join the army. And even if your army is doing, like, you know, irresponsible, inhumane things, like going to Iraq, for example, you still have to support the troops, right? Like, this is, like, you, there, I, I could foresee a, uh, you know, a, a one-off Star Wars movie that that's from the perspective. I mean, that's kind of what Battlefront Two is, right? Like it's from the perspective of the stormtroopers, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, and I, I I know we're not talking about Rogue One anymore, but my I, I think we talked about this on our podcast on the Nerds of Color. But my favorite like one-off scene from Rogue One is I think in the uh, prisoner transport before they rescue Jin. There's a shot of a stormtrooper just sitting. Yeah. Um, on the bench and he's, his armor's all dirty and he's just kind of like looking down. And that's like my favorite scene. Cause you see, yeah. 
these stormtroopers are just regular dudes, right? Yeah, that, that have been conscripted or or have like voluntarily joined an army because of whatever, like the prop they bought into the propaganda, or, or they're yeah. Luke Skywalker who went to the academy, and if not for fate interceding, he would have just been that guy sitting on the bench, like, what have I done with my life, right? right. Like. That was a great shot in in Rogue One, and I think that you know, going full circle, people forget. Like we think of the Empire as the bad guys, but the well, Empire think, was um, like just normal everyday thing. People might not have liked it, you know, Emperor Trumpetine, but they still joined the uh, army for him, you know. And I think a lot of it is just that um, the, a lot of the evil the Empire does is hidden in bureaucracy. Yeah. It's right. not like the entire galaxy knows they have this Death Star and that they built this giant death machine. Like, they hide it and they tell people Jeddah was destroyed in a mining accident. And, like, you know, if you want to stick your head in the sand and believe these things that the government is telling you because it's what easier, because it is easier, then you can. I mean, and like, Jen says, they make it's it like you don't look up. Yep. They make it possible. So it makes sense that Luke exists in this space. Um, although I appreciate that you get a piece of Clone Wars before we even knew what the the Clone Wars were. Yeah. Um, when they try, the droids try to go to that bar and they're like, we don't serve their kind here. And all, yeah, and, uh, like yeah. You don't I even know what that, that means, way. but like that's what that means. That is a remnant of the Separatists versus... The clones, right yeah. there. Yeah. Like it's just it's fascinating, and like I don't I don't know how much into plotting we need to necessarily get because everybody knows these movies so well. Um, but just putting these characters in the context of the world we saw in Rogue One is really interesting. Right, I agree, and also the where the world is where it's going, and comparing what's happening now comparing this movie to The Force Awakens right. because they are so parallel yeah. in the First Order versus the Empire. And I think it's so interesting to compare, like, they, I've done, I've talked about it already, but comparing, like, Vader and Kylo Ren. Right. Um, because they're both very powerful, and but Vader is just fucking scary, and Kylo Ren is a whiny baby. Well, like, the, the difference is that Kylo Ren is a, is, is a disaffected youth who's just trying yeah. to find his space, and Anakin was a youth who was forced into a position he never should have been forced into. Yeah. Right? Like, Kylo And you never get to see episode, like, 3.5 of, right. of Vader. Like, I bet, like, young, because when, when Anakin was still young but Vader, he might have been just, like, whiny Kylo Ren, right? Like, when we meet Vader, he's 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 an, a, a, a aged into the role, right? right? Like, he's been, he's been right. doing Very this for but But, like, if he was, like, because what what is he twenty in in uh I think he's at the end of like episode three twenty five he's supposed to be mid I always thought like twenty five twenty five yeah. yeah so yeah so like but even then right like if, tw- mid so mid twenties like late thirties early forties at the beginning of uh, a new hope I don't know the beginning of New Hope if he's twenty five he'd be about forty five yeah he'd be like forty five because yeah. it's about so, twenty years after yeah. Right? Real quick, one of my also favorite memes on the internet is showing how like uh, POC don't age because if you see Bale from uh, Rogue (laughs) like the end of episode three (laughs) to like the beginning, and then you see like Obi Wan from the oh my god, Ewan McGregor to uh, Alec Guinness, like I guess you know that's that's just it's true. uh, What's living on a desert island, a desert planet, will do to you, but. 
I guess the closest you get is in Rebels when Anakin and Ahsoka fight. Right. Mm. And you see a, mm. a glimpse, or when Vader, rather, Vader and Ahsoka fight, you see a glimpse of Anakin, and it's like yeah. the most heartbreaking thing on the planet. Yeah. Like, well, I think it's also just heartbreaking because I feel like Anakin's fall was a product of other people's choices. Yes. Kylo Ren, like Anakin is to me is more a tragedy because his fate is the product of other people's bad choices. Yes, the Jedi's I agree. bad choices, Mace Windu's bad choices, like you know In the manipulation of the Emperor. Way. Right, and like while Snoke was manipulating decisions around Kylo Ren, he was. And to be fair, we do not know Kylo Ren's story yet. No, right. But the way seemingly. I seemingly. Yeah, like so. What what we know so far, he that is a project of his own choices. He is angry at his father well, for. Well, well, we don't know because we know enough to know that we're going a little off script here. But we know enough to know that Yoda and we've talked about this before that Yoda and Obi Wan seemingly did not learn their lessons about how the Jedi fucked up, and mm-hmm. so provided Luke learned the same lessons from. Obi-Wan and Yoda that the Jedi way is the right way he fucked up in the way that he was teaching his Padawans. That's quite, and that is quite possible. And we will, so, we will see, we will probably find that, find out more about it in um, the next right. Because it seems like the fall of Kylo Ren is directly linked to Luke realizing that maybe the Jedi way is not the way. But anyways, we, we don't need to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Kylo Ren's anger at his father for being ordinary certainly fault is sure. I don't know. Is um is a is more much more disaffected youth than tragedy. Yeah. That makes I don't know. That makes new trilogy less interesting to think about then. We'll <laughs> if it's just like disaffected. No, emo. I think it's about the recognition that-, that the Jedi can't. The the Jedi uh, philosophy can't save people. Well, yeah, I think it's a, a recognition that, like, the Jedi got it wrong. And especially the way that the Jedi from the prequels were practicing yeah. being because, Jedi. So even in A New Hope, when Obi-Wan is teaching Luke, in the limited uh, knowledge that the script allows us to have... It's that there's this thing called the Force, which um, Han Solo does not believe in, which means in 20 short years, the mythology of the Force has basically been eradicated. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, like, the Jedi only operated in the Republic, and it yes. seems like, you know, Han Solo mostly operates in the Outer Rim. Yeah, that's true. So, like, it, I could see the Jedi. Although being a myth. he does say, "I've been from one gal- one end of the galaxy <laughs> to the other, true. and I've never seen anything that's whatever." Um, but he's also, you know, he's also how old? And, you know, he's yeah. So, and it seems, but also like, the the but the Empire doesn't remember the Jedi either. Yeah, right? Right. Like we talked like, about the governors who were your sorcerer's way. Like to them, it was all magic. It was like, <laughs> so this is a, a, a weird analogy. It's like uh, ghostbusters too. When, uh, the, the entire city of New York didn't believe that they were ghosts anymore and that it was all right. a, uh, right. a, a hoax per- perpetrated by, by, you know, Bill Murray and those guys, right? Like that was, <laughs> that was the plot of episode of, of ghostbusters too. Was it like, they forgot, uh, the, you know, all of these paranormal things happened five years ago 
and and the city Nobody of New York forgot that. about it. They yeah. they don't believe it anymore. So like I think that's kind of maybe the the approach for for uh, why people don't believe in the force anymore. And I think it's, it's just a propaganda campaign. Too, yeah, right? I agree. By the Empire, I think they they waged a very effective propaganda campaign. Yeah. And how many, even if you knew Jedi were real, how many people actually saw a Jedi in right, action? Right, because every time we see in, like, Clone Wars that a Jedi shows up, people are like, Jedi? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, there were, there were... Um, but this is where I kind of wish the prequels, and I'm going to do some more fan fiction, this is where I kind of wish the prequels didn't make the Jedis these, like... Yeah, these, like, superhero, yeah. like, um, police force for the Empire, for the Republic, like... I get that they were supposed to be knights, and you know, you can be a knight without like jumping around and fl- flying around and yeah. and 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 being sent on like peaceful missions and being the 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 leads of the of the army. Like the the that was the the weirdest thing for for me for the prequels was that like the Jedi in their robes were the generals yeah. of like all of the armies. And what in in my head canon until the prequels it was always that like. The the force was just the religion that everyone practiced. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean that they ran around and 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 like you know did these superpowers all the time, but that, that they believed in the force and that um, they so like Obi Wan's job was being a general. Yeah, that's what he was. He was a general for the Republican Army right. of the old Republic. And he just happened to be a, pr- a practitioner of, of the Jedi arts. Right. And, and, but, but by separating the Jedi and making them this like mythological, not even mythological, this like real kind of like thing for the people was weird to me that like, it was hard to kind of reconcile one, well, why people would forget that they existed. And two, that I think it would have it'd been a richer story if, like the 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 schism between the dark and the light side was was almost like a, a like a religious drama than than just like you know guys shooting lightning bolts at each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think in light of the I think and the political story I hope they're trying to tell, I do think it was. I agree with you. I always thought the Jedi were like this like kind of fringe order that mm-hmm. was this like mystical order that kind mm-hmm. of you know they had nothing to do with the galaxies politics and they operated on right. their own right right but i do think it's interesting in terms of like i because i don't think they're supposed to the jedi are supposed to have this kind of political power and i think the fact that they fall so spectacularly is related to how they try to basically dictate galactic events mm-hmm. like they're they they get just as arrogant as the sith it's mm-hmm. well so what's interesting is if we bring it back to a new hope <laughs> um, what, what movie is that? <laughs> so within A New Hope, we don't get a ton of lore. We don't get any no. of this information, really. Like, we have, and I, unfortunately, like, I don't, as we've talked about before, I don't remember seeing A New Hope So without having seen the other movies. Like, I don't remember just seeing A New Hope um, because I was too young. Uh, but within the context of just this film... They don't give you all you know about the force is that it's this thing that lets Luke, you know, stop lasers without having to use his eyes. It's like a sense. It's like ESP or something. It's like this extrasensory thing that he has. Yeah. Um, that maybe his father had and, and Obi-Wan clearly has. Uh, because, like, in this movie, when you see Obi-Wan disappear, you don't know where he went. 
like Vader seems to not know where he went. I was gonna say Vader clearly doesn't know where he went because he's like that, like tap 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 to make sure he's like not really small. I don't know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So in canon, do like because the the whole Force Ghost thing is something that no one knows about right it's like because that was the secret yoda finds out from qui-gon at the yeah, end like of the lost, yeah, yeah, lost yeah. Episodes of Wars. so that's so, something new because that's because because if you think about it then that's that's all like qui-gon should have just taught anakin that because the whole th- anakin's whole purpose was finding a way to not die but Qui-Gon died <laughs> before knew- anakin <laughs> could even no, could qui-gon's ghost like if qui-gon's ghost could communicate with yoda Right? The Why couldn't Qui-Gon... information that should have been communicated to Anakin that wasn't? We can't even... That would be, I like, an entire, like... down that path. Right. Because that's, like, a whole thing of, like, the whole... Whatever. Because we've, we've already, dominate our destiny. We've already talked about this. I know. What I we just... have... I, like, what we have in A New Hope is just such a... It's so hard to talk about this movie without on out of the context. But that's why. But uh, but if you think, but it is the purest Star Wars movie because, like, you have to divorce, yeah, all of the peripheral stuff that came after because this was this is the standard bearer. Like, even though Empire is my favorite movie, I have to you know it it only exists because of Star Wars. Yeah, and and if if you. Can, can find a way to kind of remove because like all of the things I've been saying for the last hour and a half is I've, I've, I'm just been I'm I'm one bullshitting right like I I'm nitpicking for for no apparent reason other than the nitpick but it's because of all of the ancillary stuff right like if you just look at if you just sat down and 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 you know droid wiped your own mind and watched Star like 3PO, Wars like but not R2 like, Right, you would you know you would get caught up in the fact that one, it's not a science it's not a science fiction movie no. whatsoever. It's 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 a western and it's like a fantasy and it's like all these other genres except science fiction. It just yeah. happens in space, and and you kind of go along for the ride. And I think that's the what what's amazing about the mythology that sprang from this one movie. Because I also don't believe Lucas ever had nine movies planned. Like, no. he says he did. I agree. Mm-hmm. But clearly, like, he had no outline for everything. The reason he called it episode four is he just liked the serial nature of, like, jumping in the middle, right? He like, wanted to make it feel like a lived-in universe. Right, exactly. They had and he enough, does that very effectively. Yeah, which is great. But that, that, Which is, I think, why one through three is less effective, because it does backfill the things that you don't really need backfilled. Like, yeah. it only complicates what you what you kind of appreciate from the original. But you one know? through three, the thing is, though, this is what's so hard about A New Hope, is because, like, yes, we should be able to look at it on the merits of it as a film on its own, but because all these other things exist and we've seen them, uh, you can't, I can't not watch A New Hope right. and notice things like Han calling Leia sister or, um, you know, uh, Luke asking Obi-Wan about Vader and then Obi-Wan telling the story and you superimpose Ewan McGregor and, uh, Mm. Hayden Christensen and the tragedy there, right? Mm-hmm. And and the way the prequels are better if, like, again, we've said a million times, if you watch the Clone Wars and mm-hmm. uh, get the depth of Anakin's character. 
these stories no longer exist on their own. It's like one giant ass story, which is like unfathomable (laughs) to me in terms of like how you handle it. But like, you know, if we're talking about things in A New Hope, things that stood out to me are things like Luke and Han's relationship, which is so much chemistry. Like the two of them have this intense chemistry to me that you see like the 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 depth of the the dependency they have on each other when Luke is so upset that Han's not staying. Yeah. Yeah, right? And then the reveal is that Han shows up to save his ass at the end. Yeah. That that's the the if there's one kind of like great regret about the new trilogy you know, because the promise of the new trilogy when they first announced it was that they're bringing the, the gang back together. Right. And and if there's one thing, and I, I really dug Force Awakens. I'm not in the yeah. camp that hates that movie. But, like, if there's one thing I do feel cheated about is that you never saw, you got to see Han and Leia reconnect, which was great. Yes. And then they play they play their love theme, and it's like, you know, I'm getting emotional thinking about it right now. But... But you never got to see Luke interact with any of them. And that was the that's the crime of the new trilogy is that you'll never see that. You'll never you'll see, never see Luke, Luke and Han. And well, Leia. well, I don't know if you'll see Luke and Leia. Maybe you'll see Luke and Leia. You'll, but you'll think, never see Luke and Han. I think we'll see Luke and Leia, but I think that like uh it's it's known that Lucas film really stamped out on this like Luke and Han shipping thing. They did not like it. They were not into really? it. It was a big thing. Yeah, people were like underground writing fic and like zines and stuff. Yeah, but but like but Poe and Finn and yeah, <laughs> Days and Chad, yeah, yeah. Like that's you can't you can't ignore that stuff. But even right? but they they want to, right? There is this like, you know, they're doing that thing that uh um now is the preferred infuriating thing that people are doing of like well, if you want to read that into it, sure. Yeah, yeah. So we're annoying, right? It's it's insidious, but like back in the day, you can find this deleted scene. Um, I believe it's from Empire, uh, because uh, no, not Empire. It's from Jedi, um, where Han is thanking Luke for saving, helping to save him after picking him up from Jabba the Hutt. And they hug, and there's a lot of, like, subtext happening uh, that they cut. And you hmm. watch it, and you're like, whew, I, whew, I can see how all the fix came out of this. I, I, I have to admit, as, as a man who's nearly—am I 40 yet? I'm not 40 yet. I will be. <laughs> I am not yet. Um, I've—you know— that's new to me. I never knew there was like Han Luke slash fiction. I knew you, about like Spock and Kirk. Oh my god! Right? If you like watch, that was obvious. But if you watch A New Hope, like literally, there's a line where after Han says he's not coming, Luke runs into Leia and she's like, "What's wrong?" And Luke goes, "It's Han." <laughs> and that, like, I'm not saying that they deliberately wrote it that way, but I understand easily how the shipping happened right like they they're writing these characters of uh deep camaraderie and literally there's subverting tropes where han comes in to save luke he doesn't come in to save leia leia saves herself let's be real they open the door but she is like "Uh uh-uh 
you guys are idiots. I'm going to handle this. Someone's got to save our skins. Mm-hmm. Someone's got to save our skins. So it's just interesting to me to see these happening. And then nowadays, like today, where all anyone, literally all I want are for Finn and Poe to be boyfriends. <laughs> and I know that Disney will not write it that way because of however many political non like world nonsense and markets and banning in different countries or whatever. But, uh, you know, well, that was what was and, and going back to Rogue One. That was also what was so great about Shirt and Bays is that there was, you know, subtext or not like they, these were two men who were clearly affectionate for each other. Yes. And and the way. You know, Baze's reaction at Sherrod's death is like super emotional. That, but it's not explicit. Like, it's funny. I was, it's not explicit. Right, right, right. I was but watching I, I mean, it with a friend who was like, "I thought they were brothers." Okay. He assumed they were brothers. Right, right, okay. right. I mean, I the didn't. Rest, right, that, the rest but. of us were like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but unless but, I mean, it's I, explicit, yeah. people can read right, it. Right however they want, which is what's annoying. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Make them gay! <laughs> I don't, I don't think, I definitely don't think Lucasfilm is is doing the Poe-Finn thing, no. if only because they specifically write in lines for Finn to be interested in Ray. Which is really, right. like, why? Um, and I think they're paired, and, and then Finn is, Finn is going to be paired with, I don't know if it'll be romantic, but he's clearly pairing, paired up with Rose, Rose throughout yeah. episode eight, so... I think they're trying to keep Poe and Finn separate from each other because of... Well, I don't know, because then Poe, I think, Poe's, like, going to be partnered up with Rose's sister, it sounds like, from some of the uh, things I've read about Episode Eight. So, who knows? Maybe... We'll see. I mean, there's nothing... We have no idea what's coming in Episode Eight. And, and they, so, they'll surprise us. And to be fair, I'm trying, I'm trying to keep myself as... Uh, uh, clear of spoilers. Same. And I didn't stuff. read yeah, the article. So, so sorry about like. I, even though as I said that, I was like, uh, I just, <laughs> I don't know how I came across like. I didn't even know Rose had a sister until like last week, and now I'm like, I, I didn't know Rose had a sister. Oh, no. sorry. <laughs> Guess what? Rose has a sister. Uh, I'll probably I'll probably watch um, one more trailer depending. Yeah, same. On, but that's it. I'll that's watch it. the next. The, the I'll watch like the full trailer they put out, not just the teaser, um, mm-hmm. and then I'm done. Okay. I did that. Oh, so, okay. a new hope. <laughs> the the way you keep saying we can't talk about new hope without talking about everything you can't else. Talk it about is. A it's new hope really on its own. It's really hard. It's really. It's really difficult. Really hard to like, do. Like even my notes. Like I don't really have anything about this movie because it's just it's hard to talk about. Well, I think own. like you said, it's also a movie that everyone has seen. Like you don't need to recap the plot because yeah, no, it's it's. If you've seen one Star Wars movie, it's probably this movie. But it's funny because we talk about how Rogue One shows us the reality of war, but, like, a lot of people die in A New Hope. Um, A lot of people die. They blow up an entire moon-sized station up millions of people. But arguably, Alderaan, watching Alderaan blow up means so much more when you've met Bail Organa. Um, Mm -hmm. And even... Seeing there's a moment which I don't know that I've ever recognized before because a new hope is so like about hope about you know Luke Skywalker running off to on his adventure, but there's this moment when Luke sees uh, Owen uh, he sees his family's skeletons mm-hmm. that you see on Mark Hamill's face you see this like uh, 
determination. You see him be sad for like a second, and then this like, all right, I have to do. Let me go on my hero's journey now. Like, let me not only hero's journey, but let me do what I can. Right. Mm -hmm. Let me have control over the thing that I have control over, which is my um, this avenue that has been given to me in order to fight the empire, essentially. Yeah. But there is that moment that you don't really recognize. And honestly, I don't know that I would have recognized had I not watched Rogue One right before it Mm -hmm. and that need to, like, be a part of the rebellion. Oh, speaking of speaking of um, that scene, like prior to that scene, uh, probably my favorite line delivery is when uh, Mark Hamill says, if they track us here, they'll track us back home. And he I jumps know. into his thing. <gasps> but 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 I wanted to point out one more Obi-Wan alternative fact. And he, <laughs> he uses the blast marks on the on the Jawas uh, thing to say, like, only Imperial troopers I are so, know. so not, not, not sand people. But then you realize, like, troopers, stormtroopers can't hit anything. And then, like, sand people can hit, like, pods. Uh, yep. Pod race just from like a mile away. So Obi Wan, stop lying. You've heard. You've stop, heard that lying to get Luke. <laughs> Wait, I was gonna say you've heard the theory that Obi Wan actually went and murdered all those Jawas. Have you heard this like crazy, oh, like just no. like like unreal fan theory that like Obi Wan actually went and murdered all those Jawas and like staged that scene to get Luke to come. Flag, false flag, Obi Wan Kenobi. Seriously. There's, it's just interesting because you do think about, you know, Obi-Wan and his adventures on Tatooine, like watching Luke from afar, whether it's um, fighting uh, what's-his-face, oh my god, Darth Maul, or, you know, his, like, adventures with Jabba and why, maintaining a low presence. But in all of that, there is this, like, young man who is supposed to grow up and save the universe. Mm-hmm. And Obi-Wan doesn't consider how he, like, fucked up the first time. <laughs> like, this went so badly for you. Yeah. But you just do the same shit again. Okay. You're making me not want a Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan movie. No, now. I still want it. I still want it so badly. See, I think, like, in my head, like, I cannot reconcile the Obi-Wan from the prequels with this Obi-Wan. No, they're two different people. I, to me, there's two different people. Like, I can't reconcile I them couldn't. because I feel like, I feel like Obi-Wan did learn from his I don't mistake. Because, like, you could see him changing over the course of the Clone Wars. And even when he asks Anakin in, in um, Revenge of the Sith to do... Like, to spy on, like, he is, like, he's like, I don't agree with this. But. No, but if you look at the way he talks about, like, only a Sith deals in absolutes, he doesn't recognize that that's a fucking absolute. <laughs> um, and then when he's talking to Anakin, when he's screaming at Anakin at the end of uh, Revenge. The chosen one? Uh, of uh, whatever. Um, yeah, like, no, he was just, you. like, you were my brother, I loved uh-huh. you. But that's an attachment, and he never, ever admitted to Anakin that that was an attachment that he was okay with having. Mm. The whole time he said attachments are not the Jedi way. Like, and he shows it to him in the Clone Wars. Same thing. Even with, um, what's the Duchess's name? Satine. Satine. Uh, that's twice that, it, that Ewan McGregor has loved a woman named Satine. Yep. Um, <laughs> but it's it's and and even in yo the obi-wan movie should be a musical it should I, be a musical 
Uh, sorry, I just yelled that really loudly, but I got really <laughs> excited about it. But even in, in Rebels, when we see his final duel with uh, Darth Maul, you see the connection between the characters, I think. Well, I think, I feel like even that Obi-Wan that we see is just I can't reconcile, like, all those Obi-Wans with the one we see in A New Hope because I feel like he has learned. Like, it's taken him a long time, and he's screwed up a lot along the way, but just the way even that that Rebels fight goes, yeah, it makes me feel like he's learned, and he knows and he understands, and then because, you know, because of the way these movies were made and the chronology and stuff like that, you don't see it. But, like, in my head, like, I try to explain away some of the stuff that Obi-Wan pulls Because I like, I'm like, I don't, again, going back to it, it's really hard to talk about this movie on its own, but knowing all that I know about Obi-Wan and how much he knows he's screwed up, it's hard for me to reconcile, like, seeing him do this to Luke. And, like, But this is what I mean, is, like, I'm not sure that Obi-Wan ever really recognized that he screwed up. Because even when he says at the end, when he's screaming at the end, his, he puts the onus on Anakin. He says, I loved you, Anakin. You were my brother. He's mad at him. He's mad at Anakin. He's not well, right. recognizing... I mean, in that moment... Well, Anakin I, did I, murder, yeah. like, I know. Bunch of I know. Anakin basically murdered... I know. All this is up. not an Anakin apology. Like, this is not... I'm not, I'm not an Anakin apologist. I'm just saying that I'm not sure that Obi-Wan ever truly, like, understood necessarily that the Jedi teachings were imperfect. I, and the, and the narrative in a new hope definitely supports right. your, your interpretation. Not, not just a new just, hope, the, the narrative throughout the pre throughout the, but I can't, trilogy. I think the Obi-Wan we see over the course, I think he grows a lot over the course of the movies and the TV shows. And I think the, can, the Obi-Wan we see in rebels um, if even just, you know, just for a few moments, but it's such a profound encounter that it is just very hard for me to reconcile that Obi-Wan with the one we get. I don't know, because even that Obi-Wan is putting all the hope on Luke. Well, here's the thing, too, with, like, Obi-Wan in A New Hope is that why why did he wait 19 years, though, right? Like, because he does, if, if Luke never sought Obi-Wan out, it's not like Obi-Wan was, like, chomping at the bit right to to train luke into being a jedi right like if i think he was i think there's a one shot comic in like so there's there's in the i think it's a mainline star wars comic series if i remember correctly they do like one shots of obi-wan mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's like in the Obi-Wan, star wars. and like they have like him like wanting to train luke and have more interaction with luke and owen basically just saying no you are right. not allowed yeah. to see him and yeah. so he basically just like follows him around on a speeder at a distance like and, a like, weirdo. Gets him of, and gets him out of trouble. Like it's like what he ends up doing. So I don't necessarily think that he, um, I think maybe he wanted to and wasn't able to. And I also just think he's like, I mean, poor guy, like he's lived in a, de- like lived in this desert for 20 years. He has no idea what he's doing. Like the right. fate of the galaxy rests or the Jedi rests on him and whether he can train a kid after he, you know, trained his father poorly and his father, like, you know, so I just, I. But the I thing, too, is that, like, he, let, look, let's say that um, Bail Organa's plan from Rogue One comes to fruition. The plan was, had nothing to do with Luke. The plan was to send 
send Leia to get Obi-Wan, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So let's say that happened. Let's say that the Vader never attached attacked the uh, Tantive Four. They get Vader. I mean, they get Obi Wan, and do whatever their plan was. And then there's basically what I'm saying. There's an alternate universe in which Luke never. No, but I think Obi Wan does anything. I think I think Obi Wan always. I think I think the implication because Bail Organa knows that. Obi Wan has Luke. I think the implication right. is when I bring send the twins him, together. Him. Yeah. yeah. Well. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, because you know, Bill Organa unfailingly trusted the Jedi, and they would have told him that like only his kids can be a threat to him. Mm. Oh, so so the the plan was like you're getting you're getting like Vader's onto us. We need to like get the kids, move the kids, maybe. Maybe yeah. or move the kids or um or just you know it's time for them to learn. I would not to learn the truth clearly because that doesn't happen, but um, uh, it's time for them to take a more active role yes. in yeah. bringing down this threat. Yes, I agree. Agreed. There we go. Oh, that Problem was a solved. lot. Yeah. <laughs> any, I, I guess like any final thoughts? Well, it's just, it's interesting this discussion we've had about Obi-Wan and putting all the onus on one person and then the... <laughs> of like his putting all the onus to save the galaxy on Luke or save the galaxy, save the Jedi. Um, and Luke possibly having put that same onus on either himself or Kylo. Kylo. But at the end, Luke decides to just, it's possible. We don't know what happened there, but Luke decides to just leave and maybe, I mean, my interpretation is Luke decides the galaxy would be better off without the Jedi. That's my guess. Like, that's my guess. And then if you, like, look at those two parallels, that's really interesting. Yeah. Like, he's not going to try and, you know, like, salvage this situation. Luke's just like, the galaxy is better off without Jedi. And, you know, he's not wrong in terms of the way the Jedi were practicing, you know, in, as we saw them in the prequels. Well, and I think one thing that was never quite explained is what balance of the force means, right? Yeah. Because when when the whole prequels were were set upon this idea that Anakin will bring balance to the force, but like I think I've talked about this. I don't know if with you guys or someone else, but like if you really think about it, not that I'm a Sith apologist, but <laughs> Sith. <laughs> when you talk about balance, right? Like, what do they say in episode one? The Sith haven't been around in a millennia. Like, that's not really balance, right? Like, right. and there's only two of them <laughs> at any given moment. So two, two Sith every millennia is not quite balance, right. right? Like, and I think maybe that's what, um, maybe that's what the, this new movie is going to be about is maybe Ray has a little bit of dark and light in her, I or maybe Kylo has dark and light. I think in that's him. what it is. Bringing it into balance within yourself. It's not about yeah. one person bringing it into balance for the galaxy. Because that's it's what about- they're giving us with Ezra. Like Ezra, mm-hmm. um, in, I keep saying Ezra Miller, cause that's just what my mouth wants to say. <laughs> You mean the Flash? Ezra Bridger. Ezra Bridger. Oh, Ezra Bridger. And <laughs> Ezra Bridger. Ezra, that's the whole thing in Rebels and what's so fascinating right. about Rebels and what some people really hate about it. But what I love about it is that he ha- he can connect with both sides of the Force within him, mm-hmm. you know? And every person has that capacity, but right. Ezra tries to do both. It's so not the, one yeah. or the other. Yeah. 
And that was the other, like my other fan fiction about what the prequels could have been. When I went back to this idea of like the force being like the drama around the force and the schism between Sith and Jedi is that the Jedi are, you know, discipline themselves to like let go of material items or whatever it is that the, they do to, to be monks or whatever but the sith they find the easy way right like we could all shoot lightning out of our fingers if we wanted to but that's the easy way and we choose the hard way right like that that kind of like tension between like palpatine and dooku and those guys basically challenging the jedi order and saying no you know the the the, the quickest way to power is through this right and the jedi saying no it's not like that could have been a more interesting uh dilemma between the jedi and the sith rather than like the sith are just evil and we don't want them around for a millennia I mean, right like right. there's never like villains right. need motivation and the sith never have real motivation in any of these movies to be honest like we don't know what the sith want they want to take over the world like that's pinky right. in the brain that's not real motivation for but a you villain, get right? pieces of it in the extended universe which is why i keep saying right. that like star wars no longer exists as a single narrative it is this huge thing well but that was only until like a couple years ago right because like even lucas has always said the only canon are the movies Right, like that was yeah, always. Yeah, but let's like the movies mm, dictate what the book. But that was true, right? even it, for the it EU. Was, it was movies would true, always dictate what the EU. But say. It's, it's a fallible story. It's 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 yeah. not a. Um, well, clearly, clearly, <laughs> but it's not yeah. The universe like, is just so much larger than right. the story than the, the, the individual movies. The universe is larger than what they anticipated the story being. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think the new approach is really fascinating to make yes. every single piece of anything, even like you mentioned, Forces of Destiny, which are these like two minute long pocket uh, yeah, like webisodes, basically, are still canon. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. I think everything is canon except Lego stuff, right? Like that's the only non-canon Star Wars stuff. And even then, I'm like, are the Freemaker Adventures canon? <laughs> like, so. Um, but that's a that's a hell of a undertaking. But I, what I was saying is that like until until Lucasfilm did that, you know, everything was fungible. Like you could have yeah. a, a book come out that contradicted something that a comic book, a dark horse comic book would say, and and then ultimately it was the movies were the were the foundation. And if it wasn't a you know, unless it was filmed, although I don't ever knew what where Lucasfilm came in on like the Ewoks movies, like <laughs> were they canon? Mm. They were they were films. They were live action. I don't know if they were ever considered canon. I don't think they were ever considered <laughs> canon. But you know what I mean. Like I think yeah. that kind of the fact that the saga has become this you know unknowable thing now because you have to read as you know. I don't. I I fully admit, and I, I should have admitted this before I came on the podcast. I don't read all of the books or the comics. Um, I, I do. I feel like I don't I, know I how people can read everything. I read. I've read. I think I've read all of the books so far, but I, I haven't. Have very sporadically read the comics. Yeah, and like I haven't read most of them. Like I want to though, right? Like the thing is, like I, I see them and I go, oh wow, I'd be really interested in this, like you know, pocket story of this corner of the of the galaxy. But at the same time, it's like this is what like some sometimes people complain about the Marvel Cinematic Universe getting to a point where it's almost impenetrable. Unless you watch like the fourteen movies that come before, <laughs> oh you know. No, and, like, seriously. All of these shared universes are getting to this point where it's like, it's great on the surface, and it's great if you've already kind of invested time and but energy. But how do you start? Right. 
I'm thinking like for us coming up, you know, you just popped in Star Wars and oh, Star Wars is great. And then you could watch it. And if you chose to, you could read the books yeah. like my my ancillary Star Wars stuff are the action figures. Right. Like I'll, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll pan the camera over in a second and show you all my toys. But like uh, that's my <laughs> ancillary Star Wars stuff. But how do how will like a 10 year old tomorrow decide I like Star Wars? What do you show them? Right. It goes beyond even like the what is it, the machete order? Like, uh, yeah, there's there's like nine movies and 10, you know, novels and more than 10, hundred novels, 300 comic books, 80, 80 hours of TV. Right. Like there's just so much. I mean, I think the goal is that you and it's never going to end. No, it's never going <laughs> to end. But the goal no. is that you can, if you, so something that like uh, a big thing in, in children's publishing is how when kids like a thing, all they want is that same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. It's the reason that like Animorphs exists, Babysitter's Club. It's like the minute they read one and they want more. So here, fine. Here are 140 books in the same series. Or they do what my daughter does, and they read the same Rick Riordan book over and over. Oh my over. God, your daughter and I would be best friends. <laughs> I freaking love Rick Riordan. You met him. Right? I did, and it was the best day of my life. We will talk about Percy Jackson on this show um, <laughs> because I think it's like perfect, perfect, a perfect fantasy series. Anyways, uh, Star Wars, it's very much like you can just watch the movies, but for like a nine year old kid, Say you watch all the movies, then what? Guess what? We have cartoons. We have books. We have so many different ways for you to engage, and that's what it is. Yeah, but I think they always will have to make the movies, at least the the episode, the mainline saga, is if if not the um, the and I think the standalone films will start becoming more standalone. Yeah, I agree. Like I think the first few they have to tie them into the narrative just to get people to go see them, and then I think they're going to start branching out after Han Solo, but, um, I think they will always make the episodes like a clean story. Every trilogy is somewhat clean story. The prequels are, you know, whether that's a clean story without clone wars, but you know, they do exist. They do exist. The middle trilogy is clean. And I have a feeling the, um, next trilogy will be very like a standalone story with the three movies. All right, we're coming up on two hours. I feel like yep. we we gotta we gotta wrap this, this like longest episode of all time. Sorry, this was my fault because I insisted that we do both. I know movies. I said so many times like we should do Rogue One, and, and I was like, no, I want to do them together. Alone. But I do think that it made sense because I don't think I we do think were, it makes a lot of sense. But I knew that we'd have so much extra talk long about episode. Um, okay. Well, a, a super long episode for you know, like we said, the four hour cut of Star Wars. Yeah, basically, that's totally what it is. Um. All right, Keith. Thank you for being on the show. Thank Do you, you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Know where they can find you? Sure. Uh, you can follow me at uh. Well, a couple of things. If you want to follow the Nerds of Color, you can follow us at the Nerds of Color on Twitter. Uh, we also have our own podcast called Hard Knock Life, which you can find on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, and the Nerds of Color dot org is kind of like the centralized location for all of that stuff. If you want to follow me personally, and um, if you don't mind just me tweeting about like I don't know Hamilton <laughs> quotes, um, you can follow me at the Real Chow. That's the underscore Real underscore Chow. And I actually have a new podcast that will be coming soon. So follow follow all of those handles, and you'll learn about a brand new podcast oh, that'll be snap. coming down the pike. I know. That's exciting. 
Yeah, I've got a, some cool guests. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll announce it on here. It's it's called Southern Fried Asian, and I have uh, interviews with uh, prominent Asian Americans from the South. And uh, we'll be talking. So my first guest is G Yamazawa, the rapper. I'll also have interviews with uh, folks like Tao from Tao and the Get Down, Stay Down, uh, Greg Pak, um, and, and a bunch of other folks. Because there's a lot of Asian Americans from the South. Oh my God, that's so, amazing! That is so, so awesome. That's, that's a that's a new show coming. Yeah. Coming at you. Nice. <laughs> Congratulations. That sounds amazing. Definitely uh, check that out when it starts for sure. Cause I know I will be. Yes. Yes. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, as for us. Okay. I- so really quick Patreon. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you to, um, I Ben and very smelly at the $10 level and Annie, Megan, Claire and Jordan and Brian at five at five. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash they geek girls and rate us on iTunes. And again, we have a few $10 slots open. If, uh, you guys want us to watch something and talk about it because we'll <laughs> um, do it. Well, um, uh, you, can you can follow find- <laughs> me. I'm Ms. Krishna. She is run with Skizzers. And we are Desi Geek Girls on Twitter. Um, in the meantime, we will see you next month for a new show. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye.